0: Sometimes you come across Bible passages like this and the, the whole issue of debate seems so obscure and remote, but suddenly washing hands, hello, it's in our culture at this moment we're talking about how we go about personal hygiene all the time. There are suddenly pictures and rules and regulations about how to wash our hands and for how long it used to be someone if you saw it used to be that if you saw someone uh, using the facilities and then not washing their hands afterwards you just thought ew. but now you might think spreader that you might think they're a danger to society there's social there's cultural pressure to doing something that used to be so routine that we would take it for granted now Jesus is confronted by The Pharisees over this practice of his disciples not washing their hands before a meal. But this had nothing whatsoever to do with germs and good hygiene. It was about religious hygiene, about symbolic religious practice. The law of Moses had devoted a great deal of attention to these matters. Lots of things from normal bodily fluids to sex from touching a dead body to mixing threads could make one ritually uncleaned, unclean and therefore barred from temple worship now it's important to note that the state of uncleanness was not the same as sinfulness one could be ritually unclean just in the normal course of life and the prescription wasn't repentance but it was ritual cleansing. And this confrontation is because the Pharisees used these rules to construct an entire system of ritual piety that was sort of stacked on top of the Old Testament scriptures. And guess who was on top of the piety scale? It was them and their cohorts. But Jesus is saying that, That piety, which is uncoupled, what has been uncoupled from the very religion that it presumed to serve and uphold. And Mark tells us that they had come to Jerusalem for two reasons. One is that these guys were the big cheeses. They were in from the capital to check in on Jesus. And secondly, that they care enough about This issue that they are invested upon preserving this practice so much that they will travel to go out of their way to find Jesus, to correct him, and also to quell this little insurrection. We see in verse 3 that it was the tradition of the elders that they were concerned about. This wasn't something that was taught in Torah, the law of Moses. The Mosaic law had nothing to say about ordinary people washing their hands before eating bread. These things were added later, and yet taken as seriously as if the command had come from the very mouth of God. And so according to these religious gatekeepers, Jesus was breaking with tradition, with heritage. He was, in our terms, a dangerous liberal. But Jesus, you see, is being liberal in a sense that is is very unfamiliar to us because he's actually trying to protect the authority of Scripture from being undermined by those that would add rules on top of it and obscure not only the message, but they would set themselves up as the most pious. And it gave them a perch from which to look down on the sort of hoi polloi that did not abide fully by these things. They were defining what it means to be a Jew or that is faithful to God by certain practices that were kept very scrupulously. And those rules had become, uh, had come to be seen as sort of the apex of piety. And so he's accusing the most committed, the most robust defenders of Orthodox tradition of elevating their own cultural traditions above the authority of Scripture and of God. The Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking this tradition, this great heritage, which at this point had accumulated over hundreds of years. But he says to them in response, he says to this hand-washing crowd in town from Jerusalem, that they are in fact the hypocrites, and oh, by the way, also parent abusers. That That's a pretty tough thing to say. Jesus isn't always meek and mild and nice. These people had scrupulously guarded their ritual p- piety while at the same time violating one of the most fundamental social concerns in all of scripture, and that is the care for one's family and neighbor, in this case, their parents. Now, this is a very complicated accusation, but in the ancient world, caring for one's parents was an irrevocable duty. And here, what we see is that many people were getting around that duty by devoting money or property to God, sort of putting it in escrow where they could still oversee it and they could sort of access it in some circumstances but their parents could not lay claim to it if the parents were ever in need the the son could say well i'd I'd love to help you mom and dad but that money is devoted to god it's corbin their religious practices were detailed they were exacting they were demanding. And yet Jesus says they're hypocritical because they had put their pious rules above caring for people. And it takes a reformer, it takes a radical to call them on it. Jesus, you see, is committed to the deeper truth of what the tradition was meant to point to. And he is a radical as it concerns contemporary religious practice because he's willing to call all of that in question no matter how sacred it feels to those who practice it. And he's saying, in essence, that we can't be holy no matter how scrupulous and pious without a heart that is also devoted to God and is committed to the good of other people. Jesus called the crowd, verse 10, to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. That the source of real uncleanness isn't found in food. The source of unholiness in someone's life isn't found in what we eat or what we drink or what goes into the body. It simply passes through the body. Where holiness is found... Where real devotion is found is in qualities that are lodged deep within the heart. It's our fundamental orientation to life. And if that is not oriented to God and to his truth as we see it in Jesus, then we are not holy. We are not pious. He says, verse 18, But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Jesus does not attack tradition or ritual as such, but the severing of practice from essence and the elevating of one particular form of religious practice above Scripture itself. Now, it's interesting because I think if, as we think in our sort of binary political-cultural categories, if we can use these for just a moment we see in Jesus the the best instincts of what we would call conservatism. He is a prophet who calls people back to something very ancient, something old and practiced. He calls people back to the ancient meaning of the scriptures. But he does so in ways that reflect the best instincts of what we would typically label as liberalism or progressivism, because he comes to... He comes into a very rigid spiritual context, which turned into a regime of of surveillance, always looking for people to excommunicate. And he announces the displacement of that kingdom by the kingdom of God. And he, he comes expressing a spirituality of the heart rather than a vacuous pietism. He comes to fulfill Old Testament hopes in a way that no one expected and most rejected. In him, the the distinctions between Jew and Gentile are collapsed and they fall away, as do the easy distinctions between clean and unclean. Your practice can't be holy, he says, if it indemnifies you from following the more fundamental, the most basic issues of social concerns in scripture. If it is in fact unjust to neighbor, then you are not holy. You see, Jesus is deeply historical and he's revolutionary. He's a radical. And if if you look back through the Old Testament scriptures and you, you comb through for what it says about Messiah, what it says about the kingdom of God, the type of kingdom that God wants to establish through Messiah, then Jesus' ministry, his, his life, it demonstrates remarkable coherence with, and continu- continuity with scripture. Any time that we find that our preferred ism easily maps on to Jesus, we should question it. Anytime we think our political, our cultural identity is comprehensively affirmed by Scripture, it is likely undermining it rather than affirming it. It's likely undermining God's authority in our lives. South African theologian Robert Vosloo has written extensively about the South African church's response to apartheid. Now, the, the church there is largely Dutch reform, which, by the way, is the tradition that our denomination, the RCA, uh, is, is rooted in. And he comments that there were uh, theologians in Dutch South Africa that critiqued and supported Racial segregation, both claiming to be heirs of the Reformed tradition, both claiming to be properly exegeting and applying the scripture. And this is similar if we look into our, our own history as Americans, where the American church was very divided on the issue of slavery and later Jim Crow and civil rights and on down to Black Lives Matter both sides claiming that they are rooting their affirmation or their resistance in the Bible. Now, Vaslu says in his context, this is so interesting, he, that it wasn't a radical new school of thought that broke the stranglehold. It was an ability to go back to Scripture to find a more foundational insight. And he says this, what ultimately won the day, by which he means the church turning decidedly against apartheid, what ultimately won the day wasn't anything novel or supplemental. It was a fuller appropriation of the foundational themes in scripture applied in a new context. But in that context, it was a kind of radicalism. A willingness to question the racial segregation of the status quo that was actually conserving the true meaning of scripture. That's kind of a difficult sentence to follow, but he says that it was a kind of radicalism that actually conserved the true meaning of scripture. Do you see how that kind of collapses our binary ways of looking at scripture and it collapses any any way that we are fully committed to one-ism and think that it is conflated or coterminous with biblical spirituality. What was going on in Dutch South Africa, what was going on in, in Jesus' day is that he, he was applying tradition. He was staying rooted in tradition, but applying it in a new context. Something had changed. Jesus is both historically orthodox, and yet he embraced change and applying the deep truths of scripture in a new context. It was a, a sort of radicalism or liberalism that conserves the ancient meaning. Meaning, sorry. These uh, South African theologians and Jesus utilizes, in other words, the the conservative insight of staying rooted in something that is fixed, something that is ancient, something that is time-tested, and yet use the liberal insight or a, a tolerance, a comfortableness with change that allows them to recognize the defects in current practice or in our current system and moves toward a hoped-for future, even if it undermines religious and social stability for a time. I don't think we have to try too hard to imagine that sort of same conflict that is taking taking place right now as we consider the social change that is happening around us, especially the social change that many are putting their finger on is necessary in the Black Lives Matter movement that we could also find some discontinuity, but some deep continuity to the interest of justice in the Bible. Now, let me just kind of turn the corner just a little bit as we conclude, because as I mentioned, we are part of the Reformed Church of America. That is our doctrinal identity that is reformed. It's a it's a denominational identity. It's also a a theological identity, but it's not doctrinal self-congratulation. It is an attempt to link ourselves. And I'm talking here about in town, as well as those who belong to in town, to link ourselves in a modern context with something that is very old. That we're not making this all up as we go along, but we are we are rooted. We are linked to the Reformation's emphasis on the authority of the Bible, the sovereignty and the power and the holiness of God, that salvation comes by the radical grace of God and the extravagant welcome of all sinners that is present in the gospel as it is expressed in the scriptures, something very ancient we are attached to, we are bound to, but we are not only reform, but we also are interested in reforming. That we do not believe that we have perfected the faith, that neither us as a denomination or us as individuals or us as in town have ever fully arrived. That we are always to be holding our our practices, our ideas up for review, to root out The hypocrisy of being beholden to a human tradition or just a sacred practice to the extent that we might use that practice to actually miss Jesus and to unlink ourselves from the responsibility to care for other people. If we are never surprised by Jesus, if we're never challenged by the Bible to inspect our own isms, to inspect our own practice, we're never having to revise tradition, then the chances are our faith is rooted in something other than Jesus' work in his word. The gospel, friend says to the conservative among us or the conservative instinct within us that the problem in our world, it isn't out there with other people, it is possessed, it's not possessed wholly by some other group by which we triangulate our own sense of righteousness. There may be some groups out there that we need to critique, that we need to resist because they're not good for the world. But the problem with my own internal world, my problem as it relates to being right with God is not out there, it is internal. That all of us, all of us are lost and broken and deeply in need of meaning. That all of us required the death of God to bring us home. But then also to the liberal that we would say, or the liberal instinct within us, that God reveals himself in something ancient, in documented revelation that, that lays claim to our allegiance That is not a wax nose that we just can mold into our image. And yet, at the same time, this call to allegiance, this revelation, is far more loving. It is far more full of Jesus' extravagant love that is far more inclusive than we would ever assume or become on our own. He willingly gave up his own son for all of us, including the people that we look down upon. And then to each of us, our identity as a church is to be reformed and reforming. We are rooted in something historic and old and ancient and unchangeable, and we align ourselves with that. We are called to do so, and we are reforming. We are rooted and contextualized. We are stable and we are malleable. The gospel, which bridges and sort of subverts this tension and invites all of us to be brought to God by his grace, to be reformed, to be renewed, to be reborn out of our lostness and our self-righteousness that we are to be persons in a church that is constantly mining the depths of the gospel, that is constantly putting itself under the gaze of the immensity of God's love for us personally, which actually pushes us out of our echo chambers, which actually causes us to question our sacred cows, our ideological self-confidence, and root ourselves actively in the restorative, powerful love of God that turns us outward into service to our neighbor and to our world. Let's pray that we would be people and a church that does these things well. Let's pray. Father God, we we ask that we as a church would be stable, that we would be a church that finds its meaning, its identity in who you say you are, and who you say we are, and what your son Jesus has done on our behalf. And yet we would also be a church and be people who are nimble, people who are self-critical in the right ways, people who hold our traditions, our practices, whether they're related to family or whether they're personal or whether they are institutional or ecclesiastical. I pray that, um, Father, we would hold those things up to the scrutiny of your word as we see it revealed in the person of Jesus. And as we come to confess our faith, as we come to partake of communion, as we are then sent out into the world once again, I pray that you would empower us to be people who find our lives and find our loves in the gospel. And we pray in, the son of, in your son Jesus' name. Amen.